Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Proactive Caregiving Podcast. As a CPA with over 20 years as an industry accountant, Jessica stepped away from the corporate world to become a full-time caregiver for her mother. Having learned invaluable lessons along the way, she is now here to share those with you and to invite you to join her on this caregiver's journey. Here is your host, Jessica Cannon. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with me today. I'm the proactive caregiver, and I specialize in educating others on how to be proactive by empowering the caregiver. If you can't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of your loved one. So today, I wanted to have one of our previous guests back because I started thinking, what happens when you end up with a pillow over your head because your loved one is snoring loudly? Although it may seem like they're getting the best sleep of their lives, no matter how much they resemble a hibernating wildlife animal, it means neither one of you are getting good sleep. And so I bet neither one of you would have considered having your dentist by chance to screen for sleep apnea. I didn't either, but I think it's fascinating. So today I wanted to invite Joy Poskosen from Joyful Dental Care in Chicago back on with me so that we can kind of get into some of these details and how it relates the sleep apnea and other areas. Good afternoon, Joy. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. One of the things I love that you had mentioned um, before was you basically reminded me uh, we could survive three weeks without eating and we could possibly survive three days without water, but we could survive only roughly three minutes without oxygen. So as a dentist, and I know this seems like a really weird idea to others, how does that, I guess, relate? And how is it possible for you to be able to even consider the idea of sleep apnea for patients? Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that uh, more and more dentists are doing is that as part of the annual medical history form, more and more dentists have been adding what's called the Epworth or the the Stop Bang uh, Sleep Apnea Screening. Uh, Stop Bang is is obviously, you know, two acronyms. And uh, Epworth is is Dr. Epworth who came out with his um, screening. And that's the one that I use. It's a 16- question questionnaire 
Mm-hmm. And if they score 15 or higher, you, you would be circling anywhere from one, two or three. And if you, if you are scoring 15 or higher, there is, there is a pretty good chance a more than, more than a 75% chance of, of one having some form of sleep apnea. And it is important for dentists to be involved with this because it opens up the conversation with the patient to be able to also look into the mouth, look at the back of the throat, look at the size of the tongue mm. and and really see if there's anything obstructive. And that's what OSA is. It's obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. What is obstructing the airway potentially that causes the snoring, causes those vibrations, and then therefore potentially cause these apneic events, um, as they're called, uh, where someone literally stops breathing. So we, you know, we can do that. We can examine the tongue. We can examine, you know, tonsils. And, you know, it's not tonsils. The, the tonsil problem is not just for children. It can happen at any age mm-hmm. where tonsils become um, an issue, especially for those with asthma, those with um, allergies. And just like tonsillar issues, you can develop uh, allergies at any age. So it's, it's really combining all those factors mm-hmm. along with the screening. Now, dentists, are not allowed to diagnose, True. nor would I want to. That is, it's a medical condition. But I think screening is very important as part of the overall health medical history because we can have that conversation. We can guide them to our resources on where and uh, how to obtain a sleep study, and and we can provide a lot of information that way. If the you know if the dentist you know and the dental office so chooses and and. It started with me where, gosh, probably 10 years ago, over 10 years ago, I had a patient come into the office and the first words out of his mouth are, he's in the reception area, and the first words out of his mouth are, and I was, I was standing there, was, I heard dentists can, can help with sleep apnea. I want to know all about it. <laughs> and I knew nothing. <laughs> and I refused to ever allow that to happen again. So I dug deep and I'm really close to get my really close to getting my diplomate in, in sleep apnea. Nice. Um, but the but the point of the matter is, is that, yes, oral health is overall health. And oh, as yeah. much as we can as dentists to help contribute to that overall health, um, the better it is, uh, the better the person is going to be, the better the family is going to be. And unfortunately, you know, Snoring is only one of the symptoms. Right, exactly. And that's something that would easily be overlooked. I can see that. I know there's times of the year that I can, you know, tell my husband, I, I don't snore. I don't know what you're talking about. It's uh, my I have <laughs> drainage. I have, it's seasonal allergies. You know, that's not an issue. And it's something that I would maybe dismiss altogether just because I have a simple reason to dismiss it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of, you know, under the rug kind of thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at this and think about the sleep apnea and the, the actual signs for it, are there signs that this is actually something that we can link towards uh, the development of Alzheimer's, the, being the lack of oxygen to the brain? Oh, absolutely. So it's a disease. Sleep apnea, ultimately speaking, is a disease. Mm -hmm. And so when one is continuously trying to breathe when they're asleep, it really does um, a lot of damage to both the heart and the brain. And what they're showing is that in order to help maintain 
being able to to breathe when they're asleep. Unfortunately, with those apneic events, you know, over and over again, over years, the the brain is not getting sufficient oxygen mm-hmm. and things will begin to deteriorate. And the number one thing for memory purposes that begins to deteriorate is short-term memory. Mm-hmm. I have a patient right now who, who I just saw this past week. He's 65. Um, he has a deviated septum that he refuses to catch fixed. And he has been given, in lieu of having the surgery, he has been given a CPAP machine, which he told me he used once. It's in the drawer on of his, the top drawer of his uh, bedside table. And he refuses to use it. But he also told me pretty much in the same breath that he his short-term memory is awful. He's like, mm-hmm. I will be told someone's name and three hours later, I'm, I don't remember that name. And it, it, it's prevalent with mm-hmm. people that um, that it's happening at a younger and younger age. Um, right. And it's, yeah, and it's, and it's, it's scary. It, it really is scary. And there is a direct, direct correlation between triggering uh, dementia in general, let alone Alzheimer's. There's been more research with Alzheimer's uh, and sleep apnea uh, than the other dementias. And they're doing longer-term studies now uh, with the other dementias. But suffice to say, lack of proper oxygen to the brain over time when we're asleep will will trigger the symptoms the start of uh, memory deterioration. And that's where it concerns me at my age. When people think of the causes and some of the, the ideas that doctors and studies have been able to prove so far for Alzheimer's, that the age still becomes more of the focus when people assume that this is something that's the 65 and older. And now they're wondering, well, we have this early onset Alzheimer's, what could possibly be causing the early onset? And this is definitely one of the potentials. Absolutely. And I think that um, sleep studies should be well, you know, I'm going to put my advocacy hat on right now. I think the sleep study is just as important as a blood test yes. to find out if you have high blood sugar for diabetes. But yes, absolutely. If someone is beginning to have, you know, potentially early onset uh, dementia symptoms, then yes, a sleep study should be warranted and it should be automatically be approved by insurance because, um, because of that fact. And if nothing else, to rule it out. Right. Right. You know, uh, if it's if it's not it, fantastic. Let's look at you know what the other you know what the other possibilities are. But that is first and foremost in my mind. And uh, yes, with my own patients and and as well as my um, assisted living care facility patients, there is a direct correlation. I believe it, and that's one of the things that having it ruled out. That's something I definitely advocate for because if once you roll it out, it's for me sometimes it's it becomes that focal point that I may think about it just a little too much. And I get fixated on something that may cause extra worry that I don't, I shouldn't even be worrying about. But once I can get it rolled out, hey, I'm good, move on to the next area that might possibly be something that needs more attention. Absolutely. Um, The biggest concern when I discuss um, sleep apnea with my with my patients in my office is, you know, the rolling of the eyes, the sighing, and I don't want that machine over my face. Yes. (laughs) Otherwise known as a CPAP machine. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the majority of the insurances out there right now, we do require at least six months of of trying to use it for at least four hours. Um, And there's each CPAP machine now has has Bluetooth in it, so it will record um, how often it's being used. Um, And it's not just a matter of turning it on. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oxygen has to actually be going through it. There has to be an inhalation, exhalation. And what's unfortunate is that those who have gotten it through Medicare, this is a little known fact, those who have gotten it through Medicare, um, if they don't use it for six, you know, for six months continuously for at least four hours, it can be taken away. Mm. And it's very, very difficult to get it back. So that's, I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. But the good news is for those that have been diagnosed with mild to moderate sleep apnea, I have a conversation with the sleep physician or the pulmonologist or the ENT, whoever was the one who ordered the, the, uh, the sleep test mm-hmm. that, you know, is it possible that an oral appliance could be used? And that's another reason why um, dentists uh, should be at least informed uh, of, let alone um, making the, the appliances for the patients. And basically what it is, is it's an upper and lower mouth guard mm. that is used like a bite guard for people those that, you know, need to wear a night guard. Um, I'm using those terms interchangeably because mm-hmm. in this situation, they all pretty much mean the same. Right. Um, it's hard on top. It's soft on the inside. And it's for the upper and lower arches, it's actually conjoined on either side. So it's one unit. Hmm. And it's either going to be a fixed appliance or it's a, it's a flexible appliance. The fixed appliance was the first one to come out. And it, what basically what it does is a, is a MAD device, a medical device that's mandibular advancement device. So it keeps the lower jaw forward as if you were sitting up. When we lean back, when we, when we lie down um, on our back, um, our, we, our joints are hinge joints. Mm-hmm. And so they will automatically, due to gravity, roll back. And with the jaw rolling back, so does the tongue. Right. And when that happens, there's a strong possibility of the tongue obstructing the airway. Mm-hmm. Now we should be sleeping through our noses uh, when we're asleep. True. But suffice to say, you know, that might not always be the case. Um, and what they're learning is that, you know, there's a lot of people that, that just don't do that out of, out of habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is Important is that this, these appliances can be worn for those that are non-compliant with their CPAP machine, either because it's too it's too obstructive. It's it's uh, they feel where they can't breathe with it on. It's it's too encompassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they feel too overwhelmed with the oxygen right. uh, being you know being supplied to them. It's too loud. Their caregiver or their loved one or even caregiver will say it's too loud. They can't fall asleep with it on, mm-hmm. uh, and so then the oral appliance is thought of as a possibility um, and because it doesn't make any noise, keeps the jaw forward mm-hmm. and it will be, you know, beneficial and some say as beneficial as a CPAP machine. What is required though is once the appliance is created for that patient, the patient has to then, the person has to then uh, have a subsequent sleep study to make sure that it actually is doing its job. Just because the snoring has potentially stopped, and the majority of the times it does, we have to make sure that the apneic occurrences have also stopped. Right. Uh, and so they have they are required to have that test afterwards to make sure that they are in compliance and the numbers have gone down. But this is just for mild to moderate, not severe. So we're talking over 30 times of an apneic event or lack of oxygen. So anything more than 30, the CPAP is still the gold standard and the only one that is recommended uh, for those people that have that type of obstructive sleep apnea. That's interesting because now you're with the mouth guard, you're not as 
forced to have sleep on your back only because I know that that is also exactly. an issue. Yeah. You have your side sleepers, your stomach sleepers, and it, having to be forced onto your back when that's not comfortable in the first place, that's not your normal f- sleeping position. Then, yeah, I can see why I was worried about that myself. I don't want to have this cumbersome item on my face. And if I roll over to my left side, which I tend to sleep on more then. I don't want this thing. Is it going to shift and move or is it going to keep me from staying asleep once I'm able to finally fall asleep? Yeah. Absolutely. And there's different kinds. There's different kinds. Yes. I have, I actually have my own mouth guard. It's not the type that you're referring to, but it's a mouth guard because I (laughs) tend to sleep and I grind and clench my jaw a little bit too much, but I can see how this other mouth guard would be helpful. I have someone in mind that I need to suggest this for. (laughs) (laughs) So when you have someone who is above that moderate level and they get to the severe sleep apnea, how does this change? And I'm I'm assuming that the severe may be something that it's more so a related that's an older person and possibly even that person that possibly is in hospice. How does that change how it's treated? When it comes to hospice care, hospice care is, is uh, generally speaking, palliative care. So, you know, someone who's in hospice is when treatment has stopped working, be it medication or, you know, the, the like. So when it comes to hospice care, we are trying to treat not just the physical uh, part of the, of the person who's terminally ill, but also emotionally and spiritually as well, if they so choose. So there is it's a trifecta, and, and hospice is not just for the for the one who is ill. It's also for the entire family, the caregivers, everybody involved, um, as this person is uh, beginning to deal with end of life. Right. Um, when it comes to sleep apnea, the person who's on oxygen a lot of times they will continue to be on oxygen. A lot of times the oxygen levels have to go up hmm. because they're not breathing on their own. Uh, very well. And a lot of times, too, they'll be using some kind of, um, you know, CPAP uh, appliance, meaning that they'll be either instead of having it over their face, like they do when they're asleep, they mm-hmm. might be using nasal pillows, as they're called. Mm-hmm. So they're, it's, um, you know, through a tube, it's, it's gently placed below their nares or, or their nostrils to allow for oxygen to go in that way. So they can be, you know, sitting up watching TV, you know, without having to have this obstructive thing on their face, mm-hmm. they can be having oxygen given to them that way. It's more comfortable. And I also recommend for patients to try to have severe sleep apnea in general, let alone if they're on, you know, in hospice or not, to give the nasal pillows a try uh, before, you know, we, you know, we go, you know, down another path because you can also sleep on your side, uh, not on your stomach, but you can sleep on your side with the nasal pillows attached to the CPAP machine. Um, so there, that is uh, not commonly known. Um, but another thing, too, is that there are, there is at least three or four different masks that are available because not every, you know, everyone's face is the same. True. Not everyone's facial anatomy is the same. Right. So fortunately, there's, they have different kinds now. They've really expanded in, in options. And if one doesn't work, you can bring it in and, and try another. But I'm a big fan of those nasal pillows. Going back to the hospice, like I said, it, it becomes a situation where they usually require more oxygen um, and or they require oxygen throughout the day, not just when they're asleep. Excellent. It's a peace of mind, too. Oh, absolutely. So during this time period where there, we have the before and after, 
And I know this is a lot, it, to others, it would sound like this is a lot of medical information. And from the dentistry's perspective, do you have patients that are needing this type of care or screening for sleep apnea and you're hit with maybe the obstruction of having legal forms such as the medical power of attorney? You know, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, not so much with sleep apnea. Fortunately, as, as a, you know, as dentists, I can work with uh, the medical power of attorney, um, the medical doctor, you know, the powers that be, their mm-hmm. practitioner if necessary. I can, uh, in those situations, I can do an order uh, for that. And then the medical doctor will then assign, depending on what kind of insurance they have, how to get this sleep study. And the great news, uh, and once again, this is for everybody, not just those in hospice, mm-hmm. um, sleep studies can not only necessarily be done in a sleep center or in a hospital, they can also now be done in the comfort of their own home. Nice. Sometimes one night, sometimes two nights and more and more insurance, especially now because of COVID, there's been more and more insurances are allowing, quote unquote, uh, the at-home sleep study. Uh, there's not as many leads. Um, there is no intervention. It is strictly, uh, you know, it's usually a four to six lead um, attachments that are that you learn is a you know, YouTube video. You watch how, you know, how to put them on. You put them on yourself or a loved one can do it for you versus a 12 lead or higher, uh, depending on the uh, sleep center. Mm-hmm. And then there's actually a sleep tap watching it being, you know, watching you sleep as you sleep, watching the numbers. But when it comes to the medical power of attorney, the problems that I've been having, and I know this happens across the country, is, well, if we're going to put, you know, my loved one in hospice, then we're just going to cease all care altogether. Mm, yes. And, and that is heartbreaking. Um, very unfortunate. Yeah. It's, it's very unfortunate because we still need to think of comfort. And with comfort, that includes the mouth, regardless if the person is, is eating with their mouth or not. You know, the person could be on a G2, but mm-hmm. we still want the mouth not to be too dry. We still want to make sure that the person can feel that, you know, if they can talk, they can still be able to talk. We want to make sure that there's no bad breath coming from their mouth. And so just because the person is in hospice doesn't mean that oral care should be also stopped as well. Right. Um, if we can even just brush the teeth with a wet toothbrush and not have anything on it for fear of, you know, aspiration choking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so be it. But at least we're able to do that for them. And I and I can guarantee there are no guarantees in life, but I can guarantee it does provide some solace and some comfort for that person because we are creating a healthy and comfortable environment for the mouth. And so therefore they can, you know, be more at rest and, and not so in, in distress. Yes. Um, and I truly believe the mouth has, it really does have a place in that. Definitely. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Even when you're in bed having your own sickness and you've slept the day, I know eventually your mouth is hot and icky feeling and brushing your teeth or having them brushed actually is one of those things that makes it feel just as good as if you went and had taken a nice warm shower, you know, it's, but it's your mouth instead, you know? Absolutely. I mean, the whole purpose is to keep the the hospice patient free of pain, Mm -hmm. right? Free Mm -hmm. of infection. We want to make sure that the mouth is kept moist, right? And clear from any plaque or calculus or tartar or food debris. Mm -hmm. We also want to make sure that they're getting an overall exam because there's no potential mouth lesion. You know, there's no mouth sores. There's no canker sores uh, that potentially can cause pain. And dentistry is all about prevention. So by doing the exam and, and if I can see something, 
that potentially may eventually cause pain for them. I'm not doing my job without telling, you know, the powers that be that this potentially can be a problem. And yes, I understand that your loved one, you know, is, is at end of life, but we can do some really simple palliative things that can help keep the per- you know, person pain free mm-hmm. and comfortable. Right. And, and that is my goal with the hospice patient. And that's, that's excellent. I think that the family would absolutely appreciate that. Most times they do. Once, once they realize how, how little that I have to do, I don't have to go in there with my, you know, major instruments and, and, and do anything that's really invasive. For the most part, dentistry with a dental cleaning is not invasive at all from, you know, from the gums up. But mm-hmm. suffice to say, even if I'm just coming, you know, with the idea that I'm, I'm examining, making sure that everything is, is clear and safe and and the mouth is comfortable and there's nothing that's in the way that could impede them from comfort, then that's all I'll do. But it's also good to check that box um, as this person is, you know, is, is dealing with their with their end of life. So when you have other patients that are, I guess, more of having the need for maybe cosmetic dentistry, do you face problems with having the need for medical power of attorneys when it comes to caregiver bringing in a loved one or being seen by you? That is a great question. Um, <laughs> and I've had, I've had a couple of situations that way. And we, we try to find a healthy and happy compromise. Mm-hmm. And, and it goes both ways, quite honestly. I'll have a loved one where they're looking at, I have a case right now where um, the, the son, the POA is discussing, uh, this, you know, what the options are for his mom with his siblings, mm-hmm. his mom chipped a tooth, chipped her front tooth. Mm-hmm. And he was able to see it because of FaceTime. She's in a home. So they, they did FaceTime and mm-hmm. he noticed that she had a chipped tooth. The, the resident, his mom does not have any idea that she's got a chipped tooth. She is a very mm-hmm. happy, very warm human being. Mm-hmm. She does not realize that her tooth is chipped. The good news is there's no infection. There's no cavity, but the son wants it fixed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I explained, you know, as well as I could to him that, look, you know, she, she doesn't know that it's, that it's broken. She's not in any pain. It's not interfering with her eating habits. She smiles all the time. Mm -hmm. If we fix it, then we have to be careful because she's not going to be able to bite into things that she wants to because they can flick off. The, mm. the bonding, the filling can flick off. Can I do it? Yes. Do I recommend it, even if it was my own mom? No, hmm. I wouldn't. And I, and because it's a very guarded prognosis. Can it be done? Absolutely. She's got a very tight bite. And I want her to feel free to be able to eat whatever she wants right. at this point in time. You know, she's she's 85 years old and, and she's in a really, really good place. And I would hate, you know, for me to have to tell the, you know, the, the caregivers, the CNAs, Mm-hmm. Look, you know, I'm going to use a name, uh, Mary, we'll call her, you know, I don't want Mary, you know, to be biting into anything be in the, with her using her front teeth, like a sandwich or pizza or anything, because it might tip her front tooth. Right. Now, this is a tooth that if it was, you know, someone who was more cognizant, you know, would, you know, would, would have a, you know, a, a different, um, would have the ability to, to know what to eat or what not to eat and mm-hmm. potentially, uh, even maybe cap the tooth, you know, crown the tooth. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I wouldn't recommend it. 
I've also had the other side where the resident, and thinking of one in particular, will also call her Mary. Uh, she mm-hmm. was very upset with her partial dentures because she felt that the, the teeth were too yellow, and she's had them for years, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden, her partial denture is too yellow, and it's her front teeth that the partial denture is for, mm-hmm. and she wants a new denture made. And unfortunately, you can't whiten dentures. plastic denture teeth. Right. <laughs> Um, the denture itself was perfectly fine. Mm. It worked. It's been working for her for years. It's really good oral care. But, you know, the daughter called me. She's like, what can we do? <laughs> I said, you know what? The good news is we can change out those teeth um, on the denture that she currently has. We can change them out. I said, that way she won't, you know, have, a, a, have to go through the transition of a new partial and have to kind of like, you know, break it in like a new pair of shoes. I said, she'd be without it for about a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I have a local lab that I use, but I said, yeah, absolutely. We can change out the teeth, put in whiter ones for a third of the cost of a new partial denture. Cause it was a well-made denture in the first place. Uh, and, and she will have brighter teeth and that's exactly what we did. Nice. So she was able to keep, you know, the denture that she already had because it was comfortable for her, but it also satisfied her, her wanting more, uh, brighter teeth. And as well as, you know, the family's pocketbook, we were able to do it at literally a third of the cost of a brand new partial denture. And everyone was happy and, um, you know, success story. So it, it does happen on both ends. And like I said, you try to you try to meet in the middle, leave them in the middle. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the medical power of attorney will say, no, we're not going to do that. We are going to leave things as they are. And it, you know, fortunately in this situation, it wouldn't have mattered you know, medically, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't have hurt her either way. Fortunately, I have not been in a situation where I felt that my hands were really tied, that it, I felt that not doing anything was doing more harm than good. I've been able to have a conversation, a dialogue with the medical power of attorney, the financial power of attorney, uh, getting everyone on, involved. Sometimes I had to get the medical doctor involved mm-hmm. uh, as well. But Suffice to say, you know, we we were able to achieve a, a good end result, making everybody happy, including myself, knowing that we did the right thing and helping this person out so that we are not hurting them by doing nothing. Right, right. And that that's always, I know a, an, that's always an option to not do anything, but sometimes it is the better option to not do something. I totally agree. And, th- and that you're absolutely right. And, and this is, you know, for the first situation that I mentioned with the chip front tooth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and it is my, in my um, opinion that, that fixing her chip front tooth is not worth it at this time. She's a very happy human being. And I really want to keep it that way. Her, her oral hygiene is immaculate. Her gums are fantastic. I would kill for her gums. <laughs> <laughs> and she's twice my, I, I'm serious. And she's twice my age, but I mean, honestly, everything else about her mouth is spectacular. I wouldn't change a thing. Right. You know, so there you go. Well, it's, it's kind of like what we, the way we see our loved ones with the way we want to continue seeing them. And so now it's a little bit of an adjustment. She'll have a, a little smile that's tiny bit different, but you know, it's still her. I had just had a situation this morning where um, the the resident that I saw, she's no longer wearing her upper and lower partial dentures. And oh. so she's she's missing some teeth on, a, you know, more towards the front of the mouth. It's, it's not her exact front teeth, but more towards the front of her mouth. And she just doesn't want to wear them anymore. And the daughter brought it to my attention. And so I was able to see her today and clean her teeth. And, and she's, you know, she's doing fine, but she really has no interest in wearing the partials. When I, when I brought them to her, she, she didn't want them. And she's like, Dr. Joy, do I have to? 
<laughs> no, you absolutely do not have to. Yeah. You know, she's she's happier without them. And I let the daughter know that I'm like, look, she's perfectly fine the way things are. And and she's eating fine. You know, the, the caregivers, you know, saying that she eats everything that's put in front of her. She's able to eat OK. She simply doesn't want to wear them anymore. And in my professional opinion, that is OK. Mm-hmm. And and the daughter it was like, OK, so be it. Yeah. You know, um, we will leave things as they are. And, and, you know, this patient was, was happier for it. She, you know, she was very, you could tell that she was relieved right? that she wasn't, you know, having to wear these. And so that was, you know, that was just another success story in, in my opinion too. Patient is happy. Mm-hmm. Um, the daughter is like, okay, this is a new stage in her life and her mouth is, is perfectly fine without them. So, right. okay, we're good. And that's the worry. If the, these new changes, accepting the new changes, yeah. and then what does that mean? What does it bring about? Is it going to be something that's going to cause her pain or issues or problems? And that's not great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's a difference between medical POA and financial POA. And, and to have the, the two um, to agree. And I have to say most yes. of the time they do. But I have one more really quick story. I had a, um, a gentleman where his lower front tooth was loose. The medical POA agreed that it should come out because I was afraid he was going to, he was going to um, aspirate it, that he was going to get loose in the middle of the night. Yes. I'm about to do, I'm about to take it out. The phone rings and it's the daughter. And I'm like, gosh, I thought I already talked to the daughter. Turns out the daughter uh, is the other daughter. Didn't know he had another daughter. <laughs> And it was a financial POA. Mm. And she's like, I just, she's like, you can do what you need to do. She's like, please do it. She's like, I just need to know what's going on. She's like, I want it from your mouth. Mm-hmm. And inside, I mean, my heart just sank. I had no idea that he had two daughters. I always had dealt with, you know, the medical the POA, the daughter that lived in the Chicagoland area. This daughter lives in Georgia. Oh, wow. And, you know, is, you know, was, unaware that of the medical necessity for this tooth to be taken out. And she just wanted to make sure that her dad was going to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. I said, absolutely. I said, it's, it's really loose. It's not going to take much, but I want to be the one taking it out, you know, on, on, you know, the proper terms, then have it come out potentially when he's asleep and then it's choking him. And she said, go for it. And, you know, I was able to do it. But yes, there's not just a medical POA, there's a financial POA as well. And, and unfortunately, they're, they're equal, at least in Illinois, they're right. equal when it comes to making the final decision, especially if it has to be paid for by the family. Well, and that's where I like to suggest to other caregivers who are in the process of seeking the these financial documents or the legal documents, because um, it does create some issues and in some cases, some family turmoil when you have two of the separate, one being the medical power of attorney and the second one being the power of attorney to handling the financials and other business estate. And so when you have the two separate people, and I understand it when people are in, just like you said, they, they live out of state. And so it makes sense that the ones next to the their loved one that's in state with them, that that's the medical power of attorney. And then the power of attorney, maybe that's the one that's out of state. But in the same case, it's kind of like why separate them um, and create issues for the loved one that, because in this case, I'm glad it worked out and that she just needed to, she just wanted to be informed. And I totally understand that. I want to be informed as much as possible myself, but in other cases that information may create arguments and fights. And then the loved one is the one that's needing something and not getting it 
waiting for them to find that disagreement or agreement or disagree, agree to disagree, so on. Yes, and it's unfortunate when those situations happen because you're out, you're absolutely right. The loved one, the one that they are fighting for, so to speak, is, is caught in the middle. Right. Um, but, you know, in my own family, that's how my parents wanted it. Uh, I'm I'm the medical POA and my brother, so the oldest, me, I'm the medical POA. My brother, the youngest, is a financial POA. And that's how they wanted it. They wanted it powers, if you will, to be separated. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's two heads, so to speak, that are that are going to make a final decision over something. Mm-hmm. And that was what they chose to do when they created their will and trust, conjoined will and trust for, you know, their potential end of life when that time comes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so, you know, my brother and I are like, okay, this is what, you know, they want. And we've had several discussions about it. And now, you know, when the time comes, will we already have some things in place verbally that we've decided, you know, on um, for them when end of life comes for them. But in my own family, it was decided that way. Right. So it does happen. And I don't know how often it happens, but it does happen. And like I said, my parents, both being of sound mind, just really wanted a, a separation of powers where it was spread over, you know, two siblings versus one having, um, for lack of a better word, complete control. Right. Right. I, yeah, I understand both scenarios. Yep. So last time when we were able to discuss these evolving topics around dementia and dental care and poor hygiene. Have you experienced anything, learned any new information that came from that front since last time? Oh, for dental care and for, for oral hygiene? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the really cool thing that I really like is for the, there's one product that I really like. It's from Sensodyne. And no, I have no affiliation with them, but Peridontic toothpaste. Uh, for those with bleeding gums, especially for those with dry mouth, especially for those that are using the CPAP machine, uh, they tend to have significant dry mouth. And mm. so the Peridontex toothpaste, it's a white box with red lettering or, or red around it, um, is absolutely wonderful in helping to control uh, gum bleeding, especially in the front of the mouth. And also, if I may be timely, with COVID, I've been seeing for those that have to wear, like myself, who have to wear masks, for the majority of the day, uh, because they they have to work outside of their homes, I've been right. seeing a buildup of tartar in the front of the mouth because the the mask is not allowing uh, proper ventilation, and mm. so therefore we I'm seeing a buildup of the of the plaque as well as um, increased bleeding. And the Peridontex toothpaste, which is over the counter, is a great product for that. And then also, too, I'm a big fan of the mouthwash. It's not just the Act mouthwash, the Act dry mouth mouthwash, Mm. um, but the pink Listerine, which is the one that is alcohol free, but also has the fluoride in it. And I've been recommending for for people, like I said, for those that have to uh, work outside the home to potentially start using a dry mouth mouthwash. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they might not even realize that their mouths are being dry and the gums are suffering for it. And bleeding gums don't hurt. <laughs> right, right. You don't hurt So they come in for their dental cleaning and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, what a significant change, you know, from, you know, not obviously six months ago. It's been nine months. So it's been a longer period of time, you know, since I've seen them. But to be using a dry mouth mouthwash, even though you might not be experiencing it when you first wake up in the morning or you're not on, you know, medications that potentially could be causing dry mouth, wearing the mask uh, for long periods of time 
that can also cause undue harm uh, for what we've been seeing for the front of the mouth, as well as jaw issues. They, I've seen a lot of people, including myself, that are having jaw issues, uh, TMJ issues, mm-hmm. from wearing the mask for a, a much longer period of time in one shot. Um, and so therefore making mouth guards and those kind of devices to help prevent the overclosure of the jaw joint hmm. um, is, is been very helpful as well. So, and, and the youngest one I've made a mouth guard for, unfortunately, is a 19-year-old college kid. He's already got divots in his teeth from the clenching. Wow. And, you know, he's like, I'm like, you know, how long do you think you've been doing this? And he's like, probably for about a year. Well, that makes total sense. This is his way of dealing with stress and anxiety is, is clenching. Um, his mom also wears a mouth guard, but, you know, she got hers about five years ago. But mm-hmm. that stress on the teeth, we're seeing younger and younger mm-hmm. because of what's, you know, going on in the world. And that's his way of, of dealing with it without even him realizing. Exactly. I noticed the divots. He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, my joints kind of feel sore at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. What do I do about it? And so we rushed it so that he could have it when he went back to uh, when we went back to college. So those, so between the last time and that uh, today, those are the two things that I've noticed uh, significantly have uh, become problems. Uh, hopefully, um, as things die down, uh, we can we can potentially go back to normal, and therefore our mouths will as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. But right now, we those are the acute problems I've been I've been seeing. But you know, for right now, while we are going to continue wearing the masks, and uh, it seems like we are going to have to continue wearing these masks for very much longer than we had anticipated, um, the mouthwash is something that's very simple that we could do. I mean, having that, you know, I keep an extra bottle of hand sanitizer in my vehicle, and that's something that I could possibly get some mouthwash and have, you know, take it in my, my little purse, the travel size or something that I can take with me and, mm-hmm. and swish while I'm out and about before going into a, the grocery store and putting the mask on or before having t- to go into work for a ma- that matter, swish and go into a restroom or something and swish and put your mask on back on and it's those preventatives, those little things that are not harmful, but helpful, extremely helpful. They're, they're still doing long-term studies on it, but they're saying, you know, hydrogen peroxide and water, for example. You know, at the very beginning of COVID, they were saying that that would be, be potential in helping to not get COVID. Well, that's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. But what I can say about hydrogen peroxide and water or warm salt water, saline solution, sterile solution, is... Uh, the fact that it does disrupt the environment in the back of the throat when you're gargling and, and you're rinsing and spitting. So for those that have uh, post-nasal drip, for those that have mm. allergies and they tend to have more mucus build right. up than other, than other people, that, that thick mucus dramatically gets broken down with the usage of one part hydrogen peroxide, two parts water. Mm-hmm. So something that's cheap, safe, mm-hmm. effective to help keep the back of the throat dry as well as or clean and dry as well as the mouth being clean as well. Wonderful antiseptic mm-hmm. uh, doesn't disturb, you know, anything when it comes to medications because this is a topical, we're spitting most of it out, but also has been very, uh, it shows that it has been beneficial and if nothing else to disrupt the uh, oral bacteria and and viral environments they don't like it um, having that you know that that continuous you know three to five times a day you know rinsing and spitting gargling getting to the back of the throat mm-hmm. they don't like it right so I'll, I'll 
Yeah. So that's another thing that is also very beneficial. Great for the mouth. Gums love it. Can't say enough about warm salt water for the gums. Uh, <laughs> and it's cheap. Really easy to do. Exactly. It's funny that you say that because I, when you say warm salt water, the first thing that came to mind was as a kid, every time I lost a tooth, I had to gargle and swish my mouth with warm salt water. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I don't, it's, it yeah. was the go-to at home. It just, yeah. <laughs> nice little memory there. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm not snaggletooth anymore. <laughs> Anyhow, thank you so much, Joy, for sharing this information. It, it definitely opens the mind and gives a focus towards um, the areas of sleep apnea. And it's not an... I hope people hearing this would not hear an age issue or age related, but actually the causes of the current occurrences and, and the actual things that we can do to help in it. And if you're concerned, maybe um, if you have a cleaning, a dental service coming up soon, ask your dentist about it. It wouldn't hurt. Absolutely not. I completely agree with you, especially if it's easier to get in to see your dentist and it's easier to get in to see your medical doctor, Right. then definitely ask questions um, and they can provide you, potentially provide you with, with proper resources to, uh, if nothing else, to learn more about it and to have a discussion with the physician. Definitely. So Joy, I mentioned earlier, you are in the Chicago area. I wish that you were in Austin, Texas with me, but for those who are in the Chicago area, your office is open and operating normal. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And I got my first vaccine, the Moderna vaccine last Tuesday. So yay. Good. Hopefully my staff will be able to sign on and, and get theirs um, within the following week. So yes, we are fully functional operating uh, full time and uh, we are very happy uh, to be accepting new patients. So thank nice. you for asking. Definitely. For those in Chicago, I'm jealous, but you have joyful dental care at your disposal there to use. And please do and hope this gave you all more food for thought. And until next time, be proactive. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. To learn more about proactive caregiving and to hear other episodes of this podcast, please visit www.jessicalizellcannon.com. This podcast is produced by Canon Light Media, LLC, www.canonlightmedia.com. Music provided by Chris Paradise. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.